Hello and welcome to the Noodlebugs podcast, where we discuss aspects of the natural world. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Today we spoke to George Ubiti. Georgia is the CEO of Australia's largest organic mushroom farm. Today we discussed her commitment to sustainable agriculture and the life-changing illness that set her on her current path. Hello. Hey Ned. How's it going? It's going good. How are you? I'm great. It's a sunny day at the farm, so it's a good day. And we would like to know who you are and what you do. Please tell us a bit about yourself. Well, my I had a, quite a big career change, actually. So what I do now was not the case um, 10 years ago. Um, so how old? I'm 35 now. I actually studied entrepreneurship, and I studied it over in the States. And I came back to Australia and wanted to be an entrepreneur and raise what's called venture capital, which is where somebody else invests in your company and um, helps you grow really quickly. And so what happened is I started a business that made these um, single serve glasses of wine, which you won't, you won't know anything about for quite some time, but it was, a, it was a company, really, it was a packaging business. And so I was making plastic for my business. And I had this big check-in when I was 25, and I had this big company. We had offices in Japan and Korea and Taiwan and China. I sort of expanded into Asia, and I had this check-in where I had this like sort of um, this consciousness of what have I done? You know, I didn't realize how big this business was when I had the idea and how much of a bad impact I could have on the environment and society and all sorts of things. And I, I was sort of just thinking it was this is what entrepreneurs do. And so I had this big awakening and um, I realized that that was not the impact I wanted to make on the world. And so I then went through through a process of um, getting different skills and experiencing different industries while I work out what my purpose was and what I, because it's really important for me to align my purpose with my work. So I don't even really call it work. It's I'm, you know, executing on my purpose each day. So... Um, I knew that I wanted to create clean food. Um, I wanted to um, create food, to grow food indoors so that as there's changes in the, um, in the planet with temperature, there was something that I could control, um, put solar panels on the roof so it was sustainable, um, and also a product that could have sort of be an alternate protein and be a bit versatile. So I had this blank slate on my career. I decided I wanted to be a farmer. Um, and so I went about try, you know, learning all about farms. So I learned a little bit about technology and I was involved with some tech companies, but I was also just sort of on the hunt for some farms. And I finally found one in Diggers Rest, which is about 30 minutes out of Melbourne. And, um, and so here I am now. It's called um, Buller Mushrooms, Buller Park here. Um, and we are Australia's largest organic mushroom farm. And we are now sort of expanding into different varieties. Um, but being sort of clean, and that's the organic, all we do is put water on our mushrooms. Um, 
and we reuse, um, so we try, I'm, I'm just experimenting with how do we grow food on waste? So we're having a look at that sort of closed loop circular economy things. Um, and then also for every one kilo of um, mushrooms we grow, I've got four kilos of mushroom compost. And so now the challenge is what do we do with that? And so um, basically to answer it's a, a very long winded way to answer your question, I'm a problem solver. And so I'm trying to create really sustainable, clean agriculture. And so yes, I'm a farmer, but really, connecting the dots and solving some of the problems um, around sustainability in agriculture is where my true passion is. So, yeah, I probably would refer to myself as a problem solver right now. Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good answer to that question. What is it about mushrooms that you find so interesting? Like, oh my God, this is amazing. I want to grow these. So, um, there's, so I was actually um, part of when I had that, you know, awakening when I was 25. I was actually quite sick and I got, um, I was diagnosed with something called Crohn's disease, which is an autoimmune disease. And I um, was speaking to lots of doctors and they were sort of wanting to put, you know, Western drugs. Um, and, and, and they were sort of saying that that's the long-term solution is that I take these very heavy drugs for the rest of my life. And it didn't sit that well with me. And I started experimenting with diet. And I realized that when I cleaned up my diet, and I was eating just organic food and not eating too much meat. Like I eat a little bit of meat, but I don't eat. It's just sort of, it's, it's a very conscious occasional thing. Um, and when I cleaned up my, my diet with what I put in my mouth and then also what I put in my head. And so that I was a really like calmed my brain down. I wasn't stressed or anxious or worrying about things that were out of my control. Um, then my gut got better. And so I haven't had any drugs um, since that, you know, since then. Um, and so that was the sort of beginning of how interesting that the mushrooms and that sort of clean diet was able to, to heal me. So I, my, my belief is that mushrooms are really good at healing our bodies. Um, and it's a sort of a non-invasive sort of really easy thing to digest. Um, lots of pre and probiotics and things. Which healing mushrooms, which mushrooms did you use? Well, you know, there's, I am not a foraging expert. There are lots of sort of, um, do you guys forage? Um, well, I went to, um, the Merry Creek recently. Oh, really? Cool. And I did, and I went mushroom foraging and I found a sticky, like a thin white one and a one a brown one with a really thick stem and a like a bulbous bulbous brown cat hat head uh -huh. cat. i i should turn my screen around because i've got this big um mushroom sort of encyclopedia next to me did you find out did you do any reverse image searches on google yeah i looked but it just, they didn't come up okay you have to send me some photos um because it sounds like it's in the agaragus kind of family. You know, to answer your question, there wasn't a specific type of mushroom. There's, there's reishi and there's all these like really interesting exotic varieties um, that I do take it occasionally in like a powdered form. Um, and, um, but, it is, but it's sort of like having that as part of my diet and as a bit of a um, protein replacement as well 
is um, is more around that sort of variety rather than one one particular mushroom that I would that I can hang my hat on and say, yep, shiitake mushrooms resolved all my um, stomach issues. So yeah, there wasn't one. It was like the the whole kingdom. Mm-hmm. And here's another question because you said you use you put four kilos of mushroom compost, right? But what is the difference between normal compost that you put on plants and mushroom compost? What is mushroom compost? So, really good question, Ned. Um, so, what happens on a mushroom bed is we put the so we've got a, a compost farm up in um, in Bendigo, and it goes through these these three phases of composting. And in the last phase, we um, inoculate, which we put sort of little mushroom spawn seeds in. And that then, that, that spawn then starts growing on the compost as, a, as sort of its, its home, which we call substrate. And so what mushrooms are is just the fruiting body off the compost, okay? And so in compost, like mushroom compost, it's actually full of mycelium, which is the same material as mushrooms. And so it's actually got this really um, beneficial organic matter um, that is different from soil. But think about mycelium as like the internet for plants. And so this is how they communicate messages and they transfer nutrients and water and all sorts of things. So if you see in a forest, if one tree is starting to break down, um, it's the mycelium that'll sort of redistribute the, the nutrients and things to the other areas of the, of the forest. It's this incredible symbiotic relationship that mycelium is, is able to transport. Yes. And how hard, how hard is it to keep mushrooms organic? Um, I mean, everyone on our farm is super passionate about organic, clean products. And so really, it's just about being organized. And so we uh, just need to keep the farm super clean. um, And stay ahead of, you know, at certain times of the year, if we're going to have um, a, a certain disease or pest or whatever that might be running around in the country, we just need to make sure that we're prepared for it in a sort of organic, natural way, um, rather than like I, I sort of think of um, harsh chemicals as clumsy um, agriculture because you sort of haven't thought about it, and then the the problem is is so big that you're having to throw fungicide or pesticide or whatever it might be on the crop. Um, and I I do believe that. That is part of the reason I was, was quite unwell, is from eating a lot of pesticides and fungicides. So, to answer your question, I don't think it's um, I don't think it's hard at all. Um, it's just a it's a mindset. Like it's it's just not a, not an option for us. It's not the way we want to eat. So that's we just make sure that we're all working together. That's really good. That's fair and healthy, really. Yeah, I think. Because so. do you eat any organic products? Uh, we only eat organic products. We don't get anything. Really? Like, yeah, we don't get. We, we don't really get anything from like supermarkets or anything. We get all our food from it. like Lamina and Whole Foods, like places that sell organic food. I think we've got some stuff from Buller Park as well. I think we yeah, have. Yeah, we sell. We sell some in there. I'll have to give you guys some mushrooms. We we sell <laughs> through some um, some Brunswick grocers, so. Good. It's a lovely community. Yeah, because it's quite like if you look deep enough, you realize how bad it is. Because like 
if you get like a pack of fries from McDonald's or something, like they the pesticides they use on McDonald on those potatoes are so strong. And it's sort of a um, you know every dollar that we as consumers give farmers, it sort of confirms their belief of agriculture. So if we're giving somebody money that is putting a lot of um, chemicals on their crop, then we're saying we like that style of farming where, um, you know, if we're supporting farmers that are, because it's, I know that I just said organic farming is, is easy, but it's, you know, we're a small farm. It's hard doing it on a big scale, right? And so you've, it, it's a, you've got to employ different types of people. So supporting the ones that are you know, going out on a limb to be organic, I think, um, yeah, it's, it's important. Another question is, what don't people know about the food that, like, this is rather similar, but what don't people know about the food that you might get from, like, a supermarket? Like, you can get organic carrots from somewhere that isn't actually organic, like a supermarket. Yeah. Look, I think... I think it's a really interesting um, topic because the supermarkets now know that organics are, are important and that consumers, particularly after the you know the challenging eighteen months we've had, um, consumers are now thinking, well, what am I putting in in my body? And they've had that sort of check in, um, and so we've have noticed an increase of demand with organics in the last little bit, um, and so they're 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 showing more interest. They might be applying similar old rules like they're working with a big listed um, farm rather than a small organic farm when they're talking to their suppliers um, but look I think it's a good thing that they that they're showing interest and it's getting more widespread and there's sort of better if, the, if there's more demand for organic that means there's going to be pressure on other farms to start following suit and, and more transparency on, on, on you know farming practices and things so yeah there might be a range of quality, but I guess the gradient and the trend is going down the, the right path um, because obviously there's impacts on the environment from using strong chemicals. Yes, but is, is all organic food the same? What is the definition of an organic food? Could you get something organic from the supermarket and get something organic from Fuller Park and then would they be... Would they have done the same practices to them? We have a, a, um, a certification and there's some rules that we have to do on farm um, to, in order to have that certification that then in, in theory gives consumers confidence in, with, with having that logo on the packet that, that um, you can trust what I say um, that I am organic. So, um, you know, that it isn't regulated on a government level, though, this is sort of a more of a um, an, an industry body. So uh, when New Zealand, I think I think New Zealand went down the path of making it a, a sort of a government um, and a, a regulated thing. Um, I think we're probably on the on the path that way. Um, but or, the organic industry is still so small. So yeah, I I think. The organic society, like Australian organic, um, the the regulator, well, not regulator, but the the certificates, the certifier, is 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 trying to stop people from just calling them using you know what what I call or it's commonly called as greenwashing, where they put something organic, they say organic or something organic, 
and and it's not and they're actually just riding on the benefit of naivety or ignorance from the consumer's side um, and they and they're still charging that extra little bit so I don't know I think that this happens when industries are up and coming and there's more demand that some people take advantage okay so so there is a certifier there are rules yeah. there might be like a small percentage that uh, may be taking advantage I think animals are the other loser here in terms of population expansion and capitalism and you know factory farming and so I, it's it's really hard it's why I was you know I wanted to be a farmer but there's no way I was going down the path of farming animals um, so yeah it's a sad one yeah but in relation to that what would the perfect world look like to you like what problems would you have to fix? What problems would you fix if you could? Um, oh my God, so, so many. It's such a, it's such a, um, it's such a good place to start. It's a good question that we should, you know, ask ourselves on a, every morning. Um, and I, I do think that we're going to have to dedicate our lives to solving some major problems rather than be a lawyer. It's having to be a lawyer and, you know, solving the climate um, crisis. Um, where, what would my first one be? Um, I think smart, smart farming, it, it doesn't, the sustainable farming can be done in a really clever and collaborative way um, with modern thinking. And I, I still see a lot of old fashioned and and kind of selfish thinking that's happening on farms because we've got this ability to have um, soil regeneration and carbon capture um, if we just change our practices by sort of 10 or 20% on farm. So, I mean, I, I would, and this isn't sort of a pipe dream, this is something I'm actively pursuing to be a leader in agriculture to, to, to really shine a light on. It doesn't need to be done that way and you don't need to till your soil. It can be you know, done in a sort of different regenerative, sustainable way and, and then also get the support on the retail shelf for those different practices. So um, the biggest one for me is sustainable and, and fair um, agriculture. You know, there's... It's not just it's not it's not just about making money and, and a lot of farms aren't making money and that's that's what puts them in a, in a compromised position where they're making you know decisions around chemicals and um, and you know harsh or different sorts of treatment of animals so I don't know that that would be my 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 biggest concern I think um, something I you know that's dear to me um, yeah, that's where I would start. But then there's like a list of a hundred other things. What's yours, Ned? Um, probably climate change. And? Probably like pollution and maybe also the second one would probably be the ozone layer. Helping the ozone layer. Because in Australia there's a particularly large hole in the ozone layer. I thought that patched up a little really bit. really important. I thought it wasn't as... It is. 
Yeah, it's not as bad as it used to be, but it's still, it's still not ideal. I mean, when I was answering my question, it's definitely under the banner of, of climate change and the, the climate crisis, right? And within that, there's just so many areas that need to, need to change um, in so many different industries and so many people collaborating. Um, and yeah, it's like, it's, it's overwhelming that how many, how many, um, different areas, but like focusing on one thing that you're passionate about and might have some experience in to try and move the dial. And I think if everyone did that and had your attitude, Ned, there wouldn't be an issue. Okay. That, that's good. It makes sense. <laughs> it just, it's just like... Why doesn't everyone think that way? It seems quite obvious that, you know, the science behind it is quite simple. It's not, like, hard to misinterpret. Yeah, but I think a lot of people live in, in fear. And you know how someone was explaining this to me the other day. You know how um, if a deer runs in front of a, on the road in front of a car, there's that um, fright or flight kind of mode. And so you know how deers will sometimes just stand still and they're just shocked and they don't, they'll, they'll st stand in the headlights. Sometimes I feel like some people are like that with climate change and it's just overwhelming and they can't even read the news anymore because they don't understand how they can make an impact. So therefore, if I can't make an impact, it's sort of, it's madness just worrying about it. Um, and so I feel like a bit of society is, um, has clipped clipped out of responsibility um, and if we look at some of our leaders they're not so focused on it which is a problem and so so it seemed like it's there's really simple simple solutions and the science makes sense for people that have got freedom of mind like you Ned um, you can see it really clearly because your, your heart is aligned with your head but if your heart isn't aligned with your head then it's a really, it's a tricky thing because some people only want to make money. So, but you, you're, you're talking about sustainable farming and things and how that's so important, but at its core, what really is sustainable farming? So, I mean, it changes for me because I'll sort of identify something that can be better. And, and be focused on that. But for me right now, it's how do I not have virgin inputs into my farm? And when I say virgin inputs, it means straw that could have been feeding someone else to make. So we use straw to make our compost, right? To then make food. So what's the point on breaking other food down to make more food? And so um, that's why I'm experimenting with coffee grinds. Um, it's such a like, um, typical Melbourne sort of thing to grow food on on coffee but that's going into um, landfill at the moment right which is fine that it's probably going to start you know help break down some of the other um, things that are in the in the bin but um, you know if we can start upcycling that um, and mushrooms have this amazing ability to, to grow on all sorts of things and it's a it's a it's a good substrate because it's relatively um, clean and consistent um, and so, so yeah, so that for me, it's having a look at what are your inputs to create that, that product. And if you have a look at beef and how much water and food it takes to have a steak, you know, how many people would 
actually steak, knowing that. I'm really, really looking forward to lab-grown meat. I think that that would just be a fantastic um, thing if we can do it in a sustainable, sort of from an energy perspective. But if there are people that need to eat meat and they're not going to change their ways, then this, this lab-grown meat's got to be a good thing. Um, and, yeah, so um, having a look at um, what you're doing on farm, so that's with chemicals, what energy you're using, um, and then a really, really important one is how you treat your staff and how you're, you know, how are you impacting and, and, and bettering their lives because it's all an ecosystem. And so if someone is coming in and having a bad day, and they go home and they make a bad day for their family, that's a total fail as a leader. And so that emotional um, leadership is just as important. And so that you know, resilience and sustainability of the mind um, is sort of, I, I think, tied into the environment as well. So, um, so yeah, so that sort of, that, it's a big sustainability is such a, a big topic and we and if you have a look like the industrial revolution happened and we then started working out how we put have minimal input with a maximum output and that's really all we've done for the last um, 70 plus years right and um, what we need to do now is say right scrap that how do we work with what we've got rather than have this assumption of continual growth how do we work with within the the refines we've got at the moment that's sustainable for me okay did it make sense yeah that, that does... in circles <laughs> no no <laughs> that's a good def definition though it would be interesting to ask that other that question to other people and see what their opinion on it is too. Yeah. I might um, do a little poll around the farm and, and see. Um, but it's probably quite personal. Um, and it, it'll also show you just how um, inquisitive or well-read that person is into some of the issues that are happening as well. So, on a, from a, like environmental sustainability perspective. So, yeah, I think that's a good a good one. It would you to get varying responses. Does sustainable farming like have to be vegan? Does it have to? Does it to for it to be sustainable? Does it have to be vegan? Um, I think it's looking more and more likely. Um, it's a big topic, and being in agriculture, it's actually a very political topic as well. Um, and that whole conversation has been politicized because of certain people's investments. Um, and if you have a look at our, some of our big leaders, they've got big, you know, meat investments. And so our leaders are actually biased and they've got a conflict. Um, so I think, um, and that happens a lot. Every, everyone's conflicted um, unless they're completely neutral and they go home and do nothing. But no, even then you're conflicted. Um, so, I, I think the, the future um, with our sort of, with the space and with limited access to, say, water in Australia, we're going to be hit pretty hard and we're going to have to be super savvy with how we use water. And so, there's certain animals that require a lot of water and so it might not be so sustainable. Um, 
I don't know. I think that um, maybe your generation is a lot more conscious than other generations and might not want to eat, not, might not want to kill something in order to eat that protein. And if, and this is why the, it's really important to invest in innovation so that you can still have your protein and get that sort of variety in your diet, um, but, but not have to go kill something. So I don't want to have like a hard, um, a hard answer to that question because it's, it's political and um, I could be sort of, you know, attacked somewhere on stage <laughs> for, for having a, a hard line on it. But I think that with the data that's coming out with climate change and my intention with farming and sustainable farming is absolutely big. Yeah. Okay. So what I asked this question to Chris, but I'm very interested to hear your opinion because I asked him and he, well, I, okay, I'll just tell you the question. Should mushrooms have rights? Like, I saw that question. <laughs> I love this. So wait, um, can you flesh out? Um, so, so I mean, right in that there's a way to to treat and 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 love and respect a particular crop. Mhm. Mm um, I think that um, as humans we have a responsibility. I think we, we've for a long time we've had everything at our disposal and we've treated it that way like you're mine i've got ownership over this this land or whatever it might be but actually having respect for this living thing that does this amazing um has this amazing purpose in our world um it probably when you say rights i think of legislation and laws and things right um and maybe it does need to be regulated, but I think as human beings, we can in create um, a, an importance on understanding what the, the meaning of that crop is in our ecosystem and our world, and therefore giving its own rights in our own, you know, in our own frame. I think legislation would be, is a big stretch, but it's a good one, and it would be really cool. How long it would take to get there, I don't know, but I think, I think as, people become more and more conscious and they go, oh, wow, the way a forest works is kind of the way our society should work in the way that it, it, it is diversified and shares nutrients and, you know, there's so many things that go on in a forest that we would like to replicate in our, you know, our own ecosystems. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a, that is such a big, big question. Um, and I almost need to come, I need to like circle back. I feel like, not, like, like I'm not um, adequately prepared for that. From a personal level, I think that um, out, of, out of respect for what, um, you know, the, the, the fungi um, kingdom does and how phenomenal it is and how little we know about it, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's, there's respect that needs to go on there um, that we can learn in our lives. So there's probably, that can be translated into rights. Okay. But when you said that um, about forest ecosystems are kind of what our society should be like, 
What do you mean by that? And also, what part do mushrooms play in that ecosystem? So, um, mycelium is the um, is like the, the connector between all of the plants. It's the it's the internet, right? It's how they communicate messages. And one tree might be saying, "Hey, you know, I've got a whole heap of bees here." And then another another plant will put off, you know, you know, it might be more more eucalyptus or something that gets, you know. The, the scent then sends them away or, you know, they, they work in a really collaborative way. And so mycelium is how those messages and nutrients and water gets transferred. Um, it's also how, um, you know, if a, if a tree is being broken down, um, mycelium's got a big part in, in how that happens to then be redistributed amongst the, amongst the, the forest. Um, so I, I see it as, the, you know, really <clears throat> integral and almost the, the foundation um, where all of the, the other plants in the ecosystem start growing from. Um, yeah, when I use that sort of um, example of, of society, it's, um, there's like this unconditional um, love and sharing that goes on. And um, it's not conditional to what type of plant you are. It's, you know, it, it, it's shared. And... Um, yeah, I just think it's it's it, it's amazing with what, what goes on. Yeah, because that's actually really interesting because I watched a movie recently called Fantastic Fungi. And you I should have watched really that before I was chatting to you. Mm -hmm. I feel like you were the watched it. <laughs> yeah. And in that, they actually explain that mycelium, or like if you have a big tree in a forest, which is bigger than all the other trees and has all the nutrients, mycelium kind of like creates a thread through the roots and lets the trees share nutrients. So the big tree will be of nutrients to the little tree and help the sapling grow. Yep, exactly. And, and, and recently I, I saw a meme that was, that said, um, that was like two trees and one was saying, um, do you think humans can communicate? And the other one's going, no, they don't have roots or mycelium. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, and I wonder, like, we maybe we communicate in, in, a, in a really sort of 1D basic way in comparison. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, I, yeah, I think there's, there's a lot to that, that meme, a lot. Yeah. So how hard, how, how, or how easy, how easy is it for people to grow their own mushrooms? Really easy. So um, what you basically need is a substrate, um, which is either, um, which is compost, or it's, a, it's basically a, um, a means that the mycelium can grow on. And you want to inoculate that substrate. And then keep it at 18 degrees in a sort of, relatively high humidity um, and lots of people just put a like a shiitake log in their bathroom and um, and they they start growing mushrooms um, you know they might get two or three um, crops um, off the um, off the log so it's actually a really um, I, th I think it's quite a, a consumer friendly crop to and it's not really labor intensive either so you just need to make sure that it gets the appropriate water 
and, um, and the right humidity and it stays at sort of that 18 degrees. And then you can grow a whole variety of mushrooms. Um, I find the exotic ones are easier to grow than agaricus, um, which is, oh, sorry, when I say agaricus, that's this sort of button mushroom. Um, and what lots of people um, don't realize is that the difference between a button mushroom and a flat, you know, portobello mushroom is really, you know, the, a case of a few hours, as in like 18 hours, because um, they grow a millimeter an hour. And so they sort of just grow into that big, and it's just a matter of when you pick them. And so if we have a customer that wants small um, button mushrooms, we'll pick them for them at that, um, at that stage, or we'll let them grow out a little bit more and they have flat, um, you know, big portobellos. So, so it's, yeah, so that sort of, that side where when you pick them is like maybe a little bit technical, but it's just whether, you know, you can decide at home what kind of mushrooms you want to put on your toast. Mm -hmm. The thing is, I don't really eat that many mushrooms. In fact, I barely eat mushrooms, but I just love... Oh, my God, Ned, you're telling me now. I know. I just love watching them grow and seeing them sprouting up, and I'm really interested in them, but I just actually don't like the taste of them. But that's because and I have... Is it the taste or is it the texture? In, I think it's the texture. They're a bit gooey. <laughs> yeah, that's very common that the... Um, and particularly um, for young kids, that the texture just doesn't, it's not as, um, yeah, not as common mm -hmm. um, with the other foods you're eating. Um, but we can work on that, Ned. Got your whole life ahead of you. You're going to be eating mushrooms in no time. I'll make sure of it. <laughs> yeah. And also, at your, um, in your website, at your website, at, at Bola Park, um, it says you use technology to help grow your mushrooms. So what part does technology play in your growing methods? Well, that's an interesting one. So what, so I, I spent a little bit of time before coming on into this farm in tech. And what technology is a lot of the time is um, getting meaningful metrics, so data and numbers, in order to project and make decisions on your business. And so what we've been doing here is getting as many different data points on our crops to start doing predictive modeling. And so there's, and so we can have a look at sort of how a mushroom responds to a certain amount of water or a certain temperature. And so that sort of, rather than it being just sort of feeling something when you get into a room, um, you know, it's, it's a, a creating a bit of um, technology and, um, I guess, rules around and algorithms around sort of what equals, a, you know, an efficient and, and well-grown mushroom. We're also sort of having a look at automation um, and tinkering around with some robots that can um, then have a look at when a mushroom is ready to be picked and so that's just through, um, so the way artificial intelligence works is you just um, take a, a whole heap of photos and then start training an algorithm to say, this is when you pick it, but not this, and not this, and not this, but this is, you know, but this one's the correct. So you, it can recognize visually when a mushroom's ready. And so we're starting to do that with some of the exotic varieties. Um, 
And if I have um, just robots running on a line that are run by solar panels, then that's quite an efficient way to, um, to run a farm as well um, from a sort of temperature and efficiency perspective. So, so yeah, sort of that, that, you know, on the technology side is something I'm excited about. It's a long-term um, play, though. It takes, it takes a really long time to get technology to work. Um, and then we're also just playing around with alternate proteins as well. Okay. Yeah, it is really hard to get te technology to work. I did try coding for a while. I've been, I've been attempting to code things, but it isn't easy. It's, it's just... What are you learning? What language? Uh, I think it's Java. Java, yeah. Cool. Awesome. I mean, there's so many different languages and... Um, I mean, have a look at, um, oh, where's, there's an open source, I think it's called Ardian, or there's a robot open source platform. Um, I wonder if you started coding and seeing its physical manifestation in a robot when it moves, it might sort of change your excitement around, you know, that line of code equals something physical rather than something just on the internet. I, I like the physical side of the world, so that's why I love coding, but I need the, I don't know, the, in, the, the body experience. <laughs> yeah. What, and, okay, here's another question. What would a world without mushrooms look like? Well, I mean, we'd be in a bit of strife because the, the forests wouldn't be able to... Um, like if we didn't have any mycelium, they wouldn't be transferring nutrients and messages and, and connecting. I mean, healthy soil um, for, from a regenerative perspective needs mycelium in it. Um, and so if we want to sequester carbon from the atmosphere, it needs to have that mycelial base in, in, in order to do that. So I think um, we'd be um, worried about the, the level of, um, of carbon in the in the environment and and also an, an ability to grow plants we've really been a lot of trouble now that you mention it mm. they're they're a critical critical part of our society and then i mean i wouldn't have delicious um mushrooms to eat as well that would be a drama but it wouldn't be a drama for you ned yet no not yet a couple more days don't worry <laughs> days i love i love your your gradient there <laughs> It's been fascinating listening to you. Oh, thank you, Ned. I've really, really enjoyed um, chatting with you. And to be honest, your questions are fascinating. The way your brain works um, and how open-minded you are is so, it, it gives me hope that we're actually gonna be able to combat some of the big challenges we've got as a society if we've got more people with your attitude and brain. Oh, thanks. It's, it's a lot to think about. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is a lot. But um, I think if you've got the sort of an open mind um, and uh, are well connected to what you do and what you eat and what your impact is on in, in the world, then um, you know you can only do your, your best each day. And so we can we can combat if we're all consciously doing our best. Um, you know, we'll, we'll be able to, to get over these challenges that we've got at the moment.
Thank you so much for taking the time to be on this podcast. Ned, it is my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Congratulations, you've made it to the end of this Noodlebugs podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Look out for other Noodlebugs podcasts that may be coming soon, and have a good day.